I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN, a global center of excellence for geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Learn how you can put geopolitics to work for your organization at RAINNetwork.com. This month, February 2023, marks the two-year anniversary of the military coup in Myanmar, which subsequently led to a popular armed uprising. The country remains in crisis, though the international community is increasingly turning its attention to the conflict. Here to give us an overview of Myanmar's civil war, its future outlook, and the attendant business implications is Nate Fischler, Asia-Pacific analyst at RAIN. Um, yeah, hi, Emma. It's good to be here. So uh, let me just dive in. The Myanmar military, or Tatmada, as it's referred to, overthrew the democratically elected government of Aung San Suu Kyi and the National League for Democracy Party, or NLD-led government, uh, You know, two years ago on February 1st, 2021, alleging election fraud. So that's the, the baseline for how this situation um, sort of kicked off. Um, this act, the coup, prompted widespread civil disobedience, uh, particularly in the absence of evidence to substantiate the fraud allegation. Um, and then the military authorities brutally cracked down on this uh, protest movement and disobedience, employing wanton violence, terror tactics, mass imprisonment of, you know, real potential and imagined political opponents. Um, these total around 14,000 to date who remained imprisoned. Um, the NLD then declared a people's defense war, quote unquote, in September 2021, um, in response to, to months of these types of uh, repression. Um, since then, hundreds of rebel groups loosely associated under the NLD-led government in exile, deemed the National Unity Government, or NUG, have taken up arms against the Tatmada. Um, the, these groups now control large swaths of territory, mostly in rural areas, and this creates a sort of um, patchwork of battle spaces that has effectively left few areas of Myanmar secure, and the military government exercises effective control only uh, over only a, a portion of the country, possibly less than a half. Um, 3,000 civilians have been killed, 1.2 million have been displaced thereabouts. Um, as such, popular sentiment remains strongly against the military government, um, and this conflict is sort of unique in Myanmar's history, which has seen many. And that the disparate ethnic minority militias, who most commonly are at odds with the central government, and the Bamar ethnic majority civilian population, uh, mostly find themselves on the same side. And this indicates that the rebel movement has some, some staying power. It's going to be around for a while. Uh, Myanmar has therefore devolved into an, an asymmetric war of attrition, um, and this is increasingly deadly. They're using deadlier weapons and tactics. Um, the military government has, for example, completed and is intensifying a tactical shift toward precision airstrikes, heavy artillery, and heliborne operations. Um, resistance forces, too, for their part, began rigging civilian drones en masse in 2022 for military purposes and have used them to conduct increasingly destructive and deadly attacks. Um, and this has proven an effective asymmetrical tactic that will likely increase in frequency this year. So the trajectory of the conflict for now appears to be a continued stalemate with increasingly high degrees of destruction and internal displacement. Are there any plans for a peace process, and what is the international community doing? 
Sure. Um, well, let me try to tackle that one from, from three perspectives. As to a potential peace process, uh, first let me just discuss what the Tatmadaw has in mind. Uh, Myanmar's military government intends to hold elections to secure its legitimacy. Um, this is well publicized. And these plans have been widely panned by the international community, as well as the government in exile, because they are fairly straightforwardly you know, going to be a sham. Uh, the government has instituted a variety of laws controlling the process, such as strict limits on who is eligible to run. And it's well understood that the intention is to establish a legitimizing civilian government that can then potentially help rehabilitate the country to a certain extent in the regional uh, bloc, which is the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, or ASEAN. Um, securing this could help the Tatmadaw accomplish a, a sort of uh, fait accompli, um, not at all dissimilar to what happened in neighboring Thailand following its 2014 military coup and subsequent establishment of a military-backed civilian government um, in 2019. Um, and a civilian government is far more able to you know, garner legitimacy and properly navigate international relations. But the battlefield situation in Myanmar is preventing this plan from being put in motion as it is simply you know, too dangerous to hold elections right now. So as a, as a consequence... On February 1st, um, the second anniversary of the coup, the military government announced an extension of the country's state of emergency until August 1st. And, you know, this has been in place since the coup. Um, and, you know, per the military authored constitution, an election cannot take place under that circumstance. So that, that plan will have to wait and is in serious jeopardy if the Tatmadaw cannot accomplish meaningful battlefield gains or control the country. Um, as for the international community, we can start in the region. Uh, Myanmar's military government agreed to the ASEAN-brokered five-point consensus plan to end the violence way back in April 2021, but has done essentially nothing to faithfully adhere to it. Um, and ASEAN, for its part, is, is sort of well-known for its inability to broker an end to the conflict, um, in, in no small part owing to its, you know, iron commitment to non-interference in member states' internal affairs, uh, one of the bloc's foundational values. So Myanmar, as a member of ASEAN, um, you know, other countries are, are loathe, other members of ASEAN are loathe to interfere in their internal affairs because they don't want to establish the precedent that the bloc can then meddle in uh, those countries' internal affairs. Um, however, uh, Indonesia took over the rotating ASEAN chair for 2023, and it is not only the Myanmar junta's th most forthright um, regional critic, but it is also the country's, uh, or the, sorry, the region's most powerful country. Um, so this provides some possibility that in its capacity as ASEAN chair this year, Indonesia may be more active in trying to broker an end to the conflict, but the same institutional constraints remain pretty firmly in place. Um, nonetheless, it is likely that ASEAN and the broader international community widen interactions and therefore lend some legitimacy to the NUG government in exile, which is already participating in diplomacy to an extent. Um, as for the West, the, the US, UK, Canada, and Australia, um, have, you know, what, the West in general has not done much with respect to the Myanmar situation. But on January 31st, ahead of the two-year anniversary, um, the U.S., U.K., Canada, and Australia unveiled new and um, the most substantial sanctions to date against the Tatmadaw. Um, and this sort of indicates an elevated level of concern not yet seen. Um, the U.S. sanctions in particular are substantive 
because they target the the energy sector uh and this is the military government's main source of revenue which is critical to its to its war effort um the united nations is likewise becoming increasingly vocal on the issue, and the UN Security Council passed its first resolution on the situation um, on December 21st uh, of last year. Um, so, however, while these are signs of heightened international concern, there is likely little any outside power is willing to, to do to, to meaningfully intervene in Myanmar. And what are the business implications of this? Um, sure. Well, Broadly speaking, Myanmar's economy is in fairly dire straits. Um, it did rebound slightly from its rock-bottom low point um, after contracting 18% in 2021, but you know, per capita GDP remains around 13% lower than it was in 2019 uh, before the pandemic and before the conflict. Um, and uh, by and large, economic activity in the country is heavily constrained by the ongoing and intensifying armed conflict. The local currency, the Kiet, has dropped in value by more than 60% in these two years. So that is, uh, you know, plummeting. Um, and the economic situation, the hardship, is highlighted by the fact that, that all sides, and even local farmers, are increasingly reliant on the illicit narcotics trade to generate revenue that is otherwise now difficult to come by. Um, and, and the drug trade... Is, is so strong that it outpaces the formal economy in several parts of the country. So the drug trade is strong and the formal economy is weak um, to lead to this uh, circumstance. Um, and then this, this is then further complicated by the new Western sanctions. So uh, for example, we have you know, U.S. oil giant uh, Chevron just finalized its exit from the country after selling its stake um, in, the, in, in Myanmar's Yadana gas project. And if more Western countries sanction Myanmar's military government, it will be increasingly difficult for, for Western countries to do business um, in Myanmar. So, you know, businesses that wish to enter or stay in, in the market face acute reputational and sanctions risks. Um, you know, as most economic sectors are, are tied to the military, um, and as, as seen by the Chevron example, um, Western companies are increasingly ending operations in the country out of, you know, sanctions fears and reputational fears. Um, however, conversely, East and Southeast Asian firms, um, and notably Japanese companies, remain in the market and remain interested in pursuing business opportunities. Uh, and this is mostly because ASEAN, um, the, the ASEAN inaction sort of enables Myanmar to maintain access to the bloc's open trade framework. But... By and large, the business implications of the of the conflict are are not good, and they're they're heavily um, you know constraining the potential for economic activity and business in the country. And this will likely remain the case for as long as this uh, conflict endures. Well, thank you, Nate. Um, Nate Fischler is an Asia Pacific analyst at Rain. Learn how geopolitical events like this could affect your business with Rain intelligence briefs. Our flagship risk intelligence products provide clients with access to the insights and analyses they need to make more informed decisions and drive better risk management outcomes, all for a fraction of the cost you pay yourself. Sign up at rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E network.com. I'm Emma Kami. Thank you for listening.